If you like to do this, or that, or even that, and you want to stay with it, Emery's got your back, or your shoulder, or your hip, or your knee. Our sports medicine specialists treat more world-class, professional, and college-level athletes than anyone else in the state. We'll treat you like a pro and get you back in play. That's the Emory difference. Make an appointment at emoryhealthcare.org sports. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden & Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade, and it's always a great day to be talking about energy and technology, sustainability, and especially ideas to save money in the process. And a special shout out to Bella Solar as a being our sponsor for this half hour. My co-host today, uh, as always, former state representative John Noel. He's an energy efficiency expert and owner of Energy and Environment. John, you've got solar on your home and, and batteries. How's that battery stuff working out for you? Oh, man. Shall I check my iPhone again? I'm always looking at the solar production and how much juice it's throwing into the batteries that I then use in the evening time to essentially, well, stick it to the man, to to uh, to to go off the utility grid as much as possible and save money. Yeah, so, uh, and in the studio with us today, Joy Kramer. Joy, you've uh, been working together uh, with uh, with me and many others uh, for the last eight years, really, uh, in, in talking about alternative fuels, and uh, so it's great having you here on Energy Matters. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, so let's talk about the Alternative Fuel Roadshow uh, it's in its, uh, I guess, in its ninth year. What's the roadshow about? What's the purpose of the roadshow? Well, the roadshow has always stayed true to its mission, which is to educate municipalities and private industry on the benefits of driving alternative fuels. And by that, I mean electric vehicles, natural gas vehicles, and propane vehicles, and mm. Everything, all of these uh, comes in different shapes and sizes, and folks are not really familiar with the technologies that are out there. But our, our mission remains to host these uh, groups in their hometowns, in their areas, their regions, and explain to them how they can get started and what the cost benefits are. How many, yeah, I'm sorry to jump in. How many cities have you done this? I mean, this is... A- how this has been going on a while, right? Well, this is uh, going to be our ninth year. We've ninth. done over 70 cities. Wow. The roadshow has actually been to Tennessee. It's been to North Carolina, Maryland, Virginia, Holy Florida. Michael. Yeah. Um, but primarily, we do it here with Commissioner Eccles uh, throughout Georgia. And again, this is our eighth. This will be and it's not year. just residential. It's not just cars for people. I mean, it's buses and other things, right? I mean, it's a Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We've had BYD electric bus. We've had MARTA, which is running natural gas buses. Uh, there is a, there is a lot of choice in the um, in the natural gas sector for heavy duty vehicles. Yeah. So, you know, as we think about success stories and about you know companies that you've seen through the years that have decided to maybe venture out and try something, can you think of a couple of examples where folks have tried something and it's worked out well? Uh, yeah, well, we we know that the the process of education takes a while. 
So it's not like somebody's going to come to the roadshow and go, aha, I need to build a natural gas fueling station or put in electric vehicle chargers and completely change over my uh, my fleet. But what it does serve to do is to start that conversation or further a conversation that was already showed some interest. Uh, a perfect example is uh, the city of Albany. Um, down in middle Georgia, where they have, uh, because of the roadshow, they were already thinking about natural gas, and now they have implemented a natural gas bus fleet. It helps to touch it and see it. I mean, you, once it, it you really see does. it, you're like, kind of like what we were saying in an earlier segment. Once you get in an electric car, you're sold. Yeah, well, so. and that's one of the biggest uh, benefits of the roadshow is not only are we conducting an educational class, mm. but the the vision that Commissioner Eccles had was to put all these vehicles on display. So you're not just looking at electric cars; you're looking at you're looking at buses, you're looking at garbage trucks, school buses, um, every different kind of lift trucks, every different kind of vehicle that you could think of. You do actually; it's like a touch a truck program there you combined go. with the right. seminar. And not just in Atlanta. It's in it's in Macon. It's in Savannah. It's Albany. down in Albany. Tifton. Yeah. In Tifton. Yeah, you Thomas. know, when, when we think about, I think one of the greatest oh, success sorry. stories in all of this is what's happened at the Port of Savannah, right, with them first switching those, those ship-to-shore cranes from diesel to electric, and then those rubber-tired gantry cranes that kind of move those containers around on the lot, switching those to electric. And now they're trying out various fuels for the yard trucks that the, the longshoremen drive. Right. Uh, and then ground support equipment. And then you've yeah. got, yeah. Uh, I think, the frontier for the future are those drayage trucks that you see going up and down I-16 uh, towing a shipping container. So mm-hmm. that, to me, is going to be one of the most difficult areas because those are owned by small companies and they're often just buying a used vehicle. So being able to get used trucks into the state where a drage company can afford to buy it you know that's going to be you know an altogether you know new challenge well joy mm-hmm. talk to us about the different type of fuels you mentioned you mentioned natural gas and you mentioned electric are there others yes certainly there are um we have there's hydrogen which is, is uh, being yeah. developed out in california we're seeing some use of hydrogen fuel cells out there but propane is the other big one and the the main benefit to propane is that it is so easy to put the infrastructure in i mean we have all grown up seeing these propane tanks and in rural backyards and um and this is something that a lot of companies are not aware of uh, particularly like the isuzu npr truck which is a a box truck uh, can be easily converted in less than a day or two to run on propane and you can fuel right on site at the facility so propane is a very uh, low cost attractive option that, again, folks are not necessarily aware of, but the Roadshow makes them aware of that. You know, when, when, I, uh, when I got elected, uh, I got a natural gas car, and I lived here in Athens, and I wasn't, I wasn't aware that there wasn't good fueling structure here, and there, there, there's not. So I had to fuel in Atlanta, and as Atlanta Gas Light built out more infrastructure, it was a million dollars a pop to build those facilities, but but these sheriff departments that are getting these propane vehicles, propane cruiser, police cruisers, all they've got to do is get a, a propane company to bring a tank in there. I mean, they're hardly spending anything. In fact, the company sets it up for them, right, Joy? 
They do. And uh, that's one of the main financial advantages of using propane. And the other real savings is in lawnmowers. There are so many, every municipality, every roadway, right of way needs to be maintained. And the savings of going to a propane mower are, are just really dramatic. And a lot of times the propane industry will actually change, um, fund the mowers themselves. So emissions are lower, too. So oh, you, don't, yeah. you don't have all that particulate stink and, and, and air quality problems. You know, I think about New York City and and the the food carts that are there. Mm-hmm. Right there, I was told by a city leader that there are about 10,000 food carts wow. in New York City. And I don't know if you've ever, if any of our listeners have ever been up to New York City and looked at this, but if you look on the back side of a food cart, there's a little Honda generator yep. there. And that generator doesn't have pollution controls on it. It's it's just oh. basically a a Honda, you know, lawnmower engine, engine or uh, something, whatever it is. You right? know, um, you know, just polluting right there. And you think about you know the opportunity to convert those food carts. Maybe I don't know, Joy. Would propane be the logical thing to convert it to? It might be. Yeah. It absolutely might be. There is the Propane Education Research Council has a lot of resources on their website. And videos with testimonials about different kinds of applications. Hmm. And then, similarly, the Electric Power Research Institute, which you can find at epri.org, also has a lot of resource information about different types of vehicles that run on electricity. That's really Hmm. helpful for people trying to decide what's right for them. Well, long term, it may be battery run because battery efficiency is getting so – battery price is coming down, efficiency is going up, and you pack a whole lot more bang into a little – buck and i think that you may just have a battery underneath those carts that that runs them and they go charge at home yeah you know i think you may be right i mean batteries are are probably going to be all the rave maybe in this next century Mm -hmm. Uh, i would imagine even in georgia that we'll do some you know utility scale battery plants and Um, yeah i I, I, the south koreans are betting on it uh now we'll be building here soon yeah so I'm going to bring another voice into our conversation uh, with with uh, Casey Casey Boyce uh, in the room with us today, and Casey's been a guest on our show. And I want to talk just a, just a minute about this controversial topic of whether utilities uh, like a, a power company should be investing ratepayer money in EV infrastructure, and we're talking about public chargers out there that people can access. So. Casey, let me let you make your best case on why EV investment should be made, uh, you know, by all electric customers. Sure. So, thanks for having me again. Um, and I, you know, I think the the place to start is to say, look, you know, electric companies, whether they're uh, cooperatively owned or an investor owned or public, they need to make money. They're businesses. Um, so, you need to provide the right incentives for them to to. Um, make money. At the same time, when you look at the structure of the electric grid, we only use about 50% of the generation and transmission, all of the wires and things like that, the transformers, um, on on average. And what that means is that all of us, whether we have an electric vehicle or not, are paying for about twice as much stuff as we need. Well, why do we do that? Well, it's because if that stuff isn't there when we need it during you know the hot summer, then the electricity goes out and everyone's really unhappy, right? So, what electric vehicles allow you to do is to utilize more of that stuff more of the time, which brings down the cost for everyone. You know, this is a controversial topic, and we'll certainly uh, be talking about this 
you know, during this year with the power company as they come in to the Georgia Public Service Commission and ask us to uh, approve their integrated resource plan. So it's something I'm really interested in hearing from uh, listeners and ratepayers uh, in Citizen Zone. So you feel free to email me at Tim uh, at com and let me know your thoughts on whether or not you think the utility should be building out the infrastructure. Well, you're listening to Energy Matters, and I hope this has been a, a learning experience for you today. Stay tuned for more great information. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles. I'm a Georgia Public Service Commissioner and host for the show. Uh, this half hour, sponsored by Velo Solar, is a full-service solar EPC firm offering turnkey solar installations and real-time energy management tracking and operations and maintenance service for mostly commercial properties and facilities across the nation. Special thanks to Mark Bell. They're located right down there on the Beltline, and that's a cool, a cool thing that we need to talk about one day, John. Uh, John, you've been on the Beltline? <laughs> as often as I can get down there. Yeah. Do you do you skate? Do you run it uh, generally? You run it. Yeah. Yeah. When I I'm hungover, I walk it. You know, I tried one of those lime scooters, and the first one I got on the brakes didn't work, and I about burned out my Johnson and Murphy loafer trying oh. to stop the thing. Oh. Yeah. So I had a bad experience there. Yeah. The second one I rented. I rented in the rain trying to get back from a meeting. Parked it in front of the commission, and then I got a an email from Lime saying I was hoarding the scooter. Uh, and they asked where the scooter was. Nobody apparently was able to find it. And so then I explained about it and and, and finally got it cleared up. But I've had two bad experiences with huh. these, these scooters. I'll be. Yeah. So, Joy, you ridden the scooter yet? I have not. Yeah. I'm... I'm above the age where I, I feel that <laughs> the cool factor has gone down. Yeah, <laughs> it's more like uh, how hard am I going to smash my head with? Yeah, and we are going to yeah. corral her and put her on. Yeah, scooter. we got Joy Kramer yeah. in the studio. Joy's a utility consultant, and she runs the uh, the the alternative fuel roadshow or the clean energy roadshow, as it's called. Now, what's the website for that, Joy? Cleanenergyroadshow.com. Clean Energy Roadshow. Com. And who was the cool guy that started that? Oh, that would be Public Service Commission. <laughs> oh, okay. Shameless okay. plugs. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's 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 get this conversation going um, because I want to talk about something that uh, the utilities doing, Georgia Power's doing with commercial customers primarily now. This will it work test? And Joy, how how does that work? And what are you seeing? Well, this is a very innovative idea that. Georgia Power came up with to, as a way to facilitate um, the the process of learning about how in the on, from an analytical standpoint 
electric vehicles, electrification works. And will it work? Because the question is, will it work? Mm. Um, if you have a large fleet, say mm. 12 or more sedans that you're running, or even this got started apparently through forklift applications. People were using propane forklifts and they wanted to see if it could be replaced with electric forklifts. So essentially what the program is, is for a larger key account of uh, the utility customer to be able to say, we'd like to have some demonstration vehicles in our fleet. Um, We'd like for the utility to arrange for those demonstration vehicles, and then the utility will collect the telematics off of the operation of those vehicles. Oh, word check. What's telematics? Telematics. So basically the usage data, mm-hmm. um, okay. how often the car stops and starts, how how much time it needs to be charged while it's in the actual application. So the beauty of it is the customer, before they purchase uh, a line of electric vehicles for their fleet, can determine from this test drive, it's basically an in-use, in-application test drive. So if you're, if you're running a... Um, uh, public, uh, you're running code enforcement vehicles, for example, is a good... Or trash vehicles. Tra- well, smaller, smaller sedan-type vehicles, because okay. so you're using primarily the Nissan LEAF as a demo okay. vehicle. So whatever sedan-type vehicles you may want to substitute out, you can compare that data. The utility will create a report for you that says, here's how your gasoline compares with your electric. Does it make sense? based on the age of the vehicle, and that you get the answer of will it work. So the data essentially speaks for itself, and you have it in your personal fleet application. Yeah, let me bring in another voice on this. i got Casey Boyce in the studio as well, uh, Senior Product Director for Market Strategies, uh, frequent guest on the program. Casey, you think about like a mall security vehicle or a code enforcement vehicle. I mean, aren't these just prime pickings for electric vehicles and What's holding these, you know, these fleet managers back from doing this? Absolutely. So they definitely are prime candidates for replacement with electric vehicles. And, you know, based on the the folks that I've talked to, and and I imagine, you know, Joy has talked to a number of of people as well that manage these fleets, a lot of it's just unfamiliarity. So, you know, really that that Will It Work program that Joy described is great because it gives people a sense of, you know, what does this mean for our operations? They're comfortable with the gas vehicles or the diesel vehicles or whatever it is they've been using, and helping them take those concrete steps to saving money uh, is really important for getting them in the fleets. Yeah, so John, just mm. kind of going back to what we talked about in a previous show about you, know, you being a history major and me being an English major and the fact that your family helped you to develop kind of an environmental ethic. I mean, do you see a day when Atlanta may be in attainment with the EPA and we don't have to have those emission stickers anymore? And, it's, and is this will-it-work strategy that the utility's doing, is that, how important is that to helping owners of companies gain the confidence that they need in order to, you know, to venture out to an electric vehicle? Uh, It's vitally important. Uh, You know, the good news is when I moved to Atlanta 20 years ago, it's a whole different place now. The air quality is so much better. Uh, We, the, the, the good news is the air quality is better and we're getting closer to attainment, closer to attainment. They just keep changing the standards. And, and that's okay because ultimately who we're here to protect are the babies 
and the seniors and the people who are sick. It's not about how healthy we are for the air quality and that we can handle it, we can take it. It's, it's the, the air quality standards are set for those that are less well off than us. Uh, and 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 just trying to get a leg up on life, so I'm okay with that. But it's our it is our uh, adoption. It is the coal fire power plants that shut down across the street from me. It is the cement plant that shut off some of its uh, uh, you know NOx emissions and those sort of things. We are having a dramatic transformation of private industry and utility that, uh, in addition to our own cars, that are reducing the emissions we have in the Atlanta airshed. Wow. Casey, let me ask you, I've, I've flown into that Seattle airport and that San Diego airport where those cities have changed the policy about vehicles uh, that can go onto that airport property, uh, with Seattle requiring vehicles to at least be a hybrid or better. And when I say better, I mean an electric vehicle. I mean, to me, it sounds like that kind of public policy can have a drastic change on what the fleet looks like uh, because r- the rideshare fleet is really people, right? It's individuals who own those cars. How important is something like that, even though those are hybrids and technically not electric vehicles? Isn't that a good first step? It sure is a, a good first step. Uh, saves money and improves air quality. And, you know, it, it's amazing. Um, you know, you put the right policy incentives in place and, and the market responds. It's pretty good at that. Yeah. So, you know, you think about uh, electric even buses, Joy, uh, as I think about Bluebird, a bus company here in Georgia that I think a quarter of what they produce off their assembly line is some kind of gaseous fuel like propane or, or methane, but now they're they're teeing up electric buses. Do you, do you see that being a next couple of year thing or is that going to be a 2020 thing? Well, it's, it's coming on really fast and they... The policies that they have play in place out west, there is a lot of federal and state dollars in California, and those electric buses are flying off the shelves out there. And so if you go out to California, you will see a lot of electric buses, even though they're made right here in Georgia uh, by Bluebird, which we're very proud of having them in our state they they are the largest producer of propane school buses in the United States, and now they have uh, developed technology for the electric school bus, and we're really excited for that to come to Georgia eventually. Yeah, so, John, you think about the Atlanta airport. They're getting two BYD electric buses, and right. then the University of Georgia is getting some electric buses. You've just come back from China. You've just come back from Korea do you see a lot of electric buses over there, and do you think what they're doing is going to have a big impact here? Massive adoption over there. In fact, uh, uh, there's a significant uh, discouragement of, of uh, infernal combu- excuse me, internal combustion uh, vehicles of any kind. Um, I, what, I, what I find fascinating, I'll go back to Casey's point here, the use of, of of regulation or of just contracts. The airport just says, "I want to do a contract." Says you got to have, in the case of Seattle, a high mileage vehicle or an alternative fuel vehicle if you want to pick up somebody here. That's true. Uber. It's true. Lyft. It's true. The taxis. So, just changing that uh, that 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 uh, regulatory environment can change the entire. Well, start to change the air airshed. Yeah. Casey, I was down with Justin Breitharp, uh, who we'll have on our show in the future, uh, who was the, uh, the electric vehicle fellow for the city of Atlanta. And we w- were standing there in the cab line at the airport for an hour and a half with a clipboard and just noting the type of vehicle, the manufacturer of vehicle, how many passengers got into the vehicle, 
and what we thought the powertrain was. And so we stood there an hour and a half, and, and then we crunched the data. And I was really surprised to see that about 18% of the cabs coming into the Atlanta airport were those old Crown Victorias wow. that were the old police cars, the old state patrol cars. Uh, and it just seems like that our city you know, needs to move towards that Seattle-San Diego policy, but I don't, I don't know that that's, that's going to happen. I'm not, I'm not seeing folks really catch a vision for that. I mean, do you, do you see us making significant changes with the rideshare market or the cab market here moving toward electric vehicles? Is that going to happen anytime soon? Well, I think you've got some uh, early movement on that. So, uh, I think we talked in a previous segment about uh, how Lyft is incentivizing some of its drivers to use electric vehicles. And so, you know, giving them that nudge, that encouragement, you know, whether we're going to have the public policy in place in Georgia to actually, you know, get more higher efficiency vehicles in the fleet or, or require electric or hybrids, I don't know. I'm I'm a little skeptical. Um, uh, you know, the the thing that uh, likely will force that'll be uh, fuel prices over the the coming years. Well, you've been listening to Energy Matters. We're we're really diving into alternative fuel, electric buses. Uh, and I want to continue our conversation and talk about bi-directional charging and time of use rates and other things that'll that'll help you save money and be a better steward of the resources that you've had. You can go to timeckles.com, and there's just a lot out there on Google where you can learn about all things alternative fuel. Thanks for joining us for Energy Matters. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Bellow Solar. Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm your host, Tim Eccles. I'm a public service commissioner in the state of Georgia. My co-host is uh, former state representative John Noel. He's an energy expert. He owns energy and environment and lives this stuff stuff every day. He drives an electric car. I've had three electric cars. Uh, and, John, we're on social media, too. Uh, so I'm at Tim Eccles, and uh, you're on Twitter. I uh, am a new energy guy. New energy guy. We've got also in the studio with us Casey Boyce. Casey, you're on Twitter, right? Wh- wh- where are you on Twitter? I am. I'm easy to find. I'm at Casey Boyce. Yeah. And Joy Kramer, uh, who's a utility consultant and uh, directs the clean energy roadshow and you can reach and, uh, her by mail at yeah no i'm we, just kidding yeah so we're what's at, your twitter handle at alt fuel tour alt fuel tour so we hope you'll follow us and we're talking about electric vehicles uh in this segment particularly something called bi-directional charging and i think this came home to me the clearest when i was up in montreal i was visiting a company called E-Lion, and they built electric school buses there. And we were thinking about school systems and the fact that the buses are idle in the summer and wondering about if there was some way for a school system to increase their revenue by having electric buses, charging them overnight when, when, when energy is cheap, and then putting that power back onto the grid during the afternoon when electricity is expensive. And I know most people out there, they're not really thinking about the time of day for electricity because they pay the same rate, whether it's at 2 in the afternoon or 2 in the morning. But it it does cost a different amount to generate power at a different time of day. Right, Casey? It is cheaper to generate at night than it is 
in in the afternoon. Why why is that? Well, because when you're charging overnight, uh, you're running off of what's known as base load. So the, these are the power plants that are running 24 seven at basically the same load. Um, you know, their operating costs are kind of baked in. Um, tend to have the lowest fuel costs. And then when you get to the afternoon, you know, say it's a hot summer's day and everyone's cranking their air conditioning or you know starting to go home and you know cooking with electric ranges and things like that. Well, the power uh, company's got to put more generation on the grid, and those tend to be less frequently used plants, so they've got to recoup their costs over more hours, uh, tend to be a little bit more expensive to run. A peaking plant. That's right. Yeah. So, John, this idea about bidirectional charging, I mean, right now it voids the warranty on an electric vehicle. Uh, at least here, but you've been to places where it doesn't, right? Is that is that happening in Japan? That's right. It, it actually is happening in Japan, um, and they have talked about it. I was in Germany uh, some years ago uh, uh, where, by the way, on one particular day we were there, they had negative electric rates. They actually had so much solar being produced, they were paying people to take it. Wow. That's amazing in itself. Uh, so, But it takes an innovative place like Germany, like Japan, I'd like to think the United States is innovative, too. be kind of cool if we did it and in our microcosms. They're starting to do it in the U.K. this year, so, you know, it's coming this way. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be neat. It's also also referred to as uh, vehicle-to-grid, V-to-G, bidirectional charging. Yeah, so, Joy, I think about, uh, I think about uh, PV-to-EV. I think about uh, the Racy Anderson Foundation and their work there down at that rest stop in West Point where they actually have a, a solar tree and they actually uh, have an electric charger there and that uh, that goes to that grid. But have you, as you do the road show, uh, are you hearing more about bidirectional charging? Is there an interest uh, with nonprofits or school boards to be able to recoup this or is, just, is this just way too futuristic? I think right now we're we're looking at that for the future. I know that there are within utilities they are examining that in terms of their um, power sources going forward. Um, one of the biggest projects that we saw recently where uh, solar was uh, being used was the MARTA bus system Laredo maintenance facility project. Hmm. And that was a fantastic use of federal dollars to install solar energy to power their primary maintenance facility to um, and at the same time create a parking space for the buses to idle and stay parked where they weren't exposed to the hot Georgia sunshine. So it created a fuel efficiency because the buses, when they got started, were not 100 degrees inside. They were actually sitting under a shaded uh, canopy. And it was a really good use of uh, solar going into the grid and um, facilitating cooler buses. Casey, you mentioned about you know, how cheap energy is overnight versus uh, in the afternoon. It gets to this whole idea of a real-time pricing or time of use. And I know this sounds geeky, but folks can go to georgiapower.com forward slash nights and weekends. Nights and weekends, just all, all, all written out. And you can see the offering that you can have on the Georgia Power System. Walton EMC offers it. Jackson EMC offers it. But give us the 
the concept of a time of use rate and then especially because you're doing this with your own electric vehicles an electric vehicle time of use rate make this simple for us if you can i'll do my best so the way that it works is is what you end up paying on a time of use rate is more like what it actually costs to produce electricity. So you get a really cheap rate overnight when electricity is uh, really inexpensive to produce and not a lot of folks are using it. And you pay a bit more during those high usage times, so during the afternoons on summer days. And what this means is if you can move, when you move your electricity from those high usage periods, so that summer, you know, mid-afternoon, early evening, into later periods, so, you know, night, morning, overnight, uh, which works really well if you've got an electric vehicle that you're plugging in, you can save a significant amount of money. So, just, just to give you an example on that, right, so we've got two electric cars. And uh, we spend zero on gas. Our electric bill on the Georgia Power EV time of use plan averages about $60 a month. Wow. And John, so you're, you're on, your that, house. You're yeah, on the house. rate as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I'm, I'm looking at the energy data on my, on my Tesla app, and you'll see, if you could imagine this, that the evening between 11 p.m. and 7 a.m., the energy consumption is very high. And then at 7 a.m. or whenever the battery finishes at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., it just drops off a cliff. And we go into, you know, energy miser mode, which is how I run my house, much to the chagrin of my uh, girlfriend and partner many years. But anyway, the, the point here is that I use that power at night. And I juice up things at night. And the hot water heater kicks on at night. And it's, it's load shedding, load shifting, all that stuff to when it's cheap, and then letting solar and batteries do the rest. Yeah, so I mean, this sounds kind of geeky, uh, and and I, I've done this on my Winterville. But you love it, Tim. My, you my, love my, it. My Winterville house, uh, you know, we were having these astronomical summer bills, and I went on that time of use rate, and we got very aggressive with it, and I drove my family crazy because I would pre-cool my house my right while the energy is cheap. Yep, I do the same I, thing. I, I would cool yeah, the house down to about sixty-six or sixty-seven degrees, so it's really cool. Uh, up until 2 o'clock, and then I would actually shut those AC units off for five hours. So almost the minute that the power was going to get expensive on my plan, I turned my units off. And I find that about 98% of people in Georgia have never heard of this. They, they aren't thinking about this. And I mean, Casey, it actually works, though, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and I do the exact same thing that you do, Tim. I you know pre cool the house in the summer. Once we hit two o'clock, boom, the AC unit shuts off. It doesn't kick back in until uh, about seven p.m. Um, right. And you know the house is comfortable, so you know it really doesn't change anything uh, about how we live, other than the fact that we're not paying as much for electricity. And woe is you if you turn the oven on. Yeah. No cooking till no, seven. No cooking from two to we seven. We eat no out cooking. all summer. Oh, well, that's different. Yeah. So, you know, while we're playing with our thermostats, though, over in Birmingham uh, at the Southern Company, you know, grid management system over there, they are looking at what's happening across four states, and they are deciding when they're going to ramp up this coal plant and that gas plant. And so as they turn on these these uh, older power plants that are slow to ramp up they're slow to ramp up they're more expensive that's why we're paying more 
you know, between two and seven. And so I know this sounds like we're trying to teach you to game the system, but we are, aren't we, John? We want them yeah. to save money. I mean, the system kind of wants you to game it. Like, they incentivize you. I have that little gizmo Georgia Power sent out that said if they put this on your air conditioner during a peak load emergency, we will shut your AC off for, what, 15 minutes or something like that. And they'll pay you a little money to put it on there, and then they'll pay you if they ever have to activate it. Yeah, I and mean, we started this conversation by talking about this bi-directional charging uh, and whether or not one day people would be able to plug their vehicle in and have the power company pay them something for this. I mean, right. Casey, is it going to happen in the 2020s, or are we going to have to have like 50% market share for EVs before this becomes realistic. Yeah, I could see it happening in the 2020s. I think the biggest thing that um, needs to get figured out is one automakers need to to, you know, get comfortable with what the impact on battery warranty is. And two, you've got to get the compensation structure right. But honestly, what I'm seeing is, you know, folks are wanting batteries not so much because they want to, you know, back up the grid necessarily, but because they want energy independence. So, you know, John is a perfect example of that, right? You're sticking it to the man, yep. and that's why people want batteries. So, That's right. you know, I think if people, you know, when you look at power outages and people who drive EVs, they say, look, I've got this huge battery sitting in my driveway. Why can't I power my fridge? And so as more people ask those questions, I think that's going to drive the technology forward. Yeah. And Joy, I mean, what, what's, what do you see happening for the roadshow in our last 30 seconds? I mean, are, are you going to be talking more about electric in the future or are you going to be talking about more about hydrogen? And where are we going? Well, we're all going to be talking a lot more about electric because it's not just for cars anymore. It's for big buses. That's great. Yeah, so we got buses, we got transit, we got school buses, electric. And scooters so, that, uh, that. And, and scooters that we have a know. bad experience with. Uh, we're well, gonna, I'm we're Tim Eccles, and you've been listening to Energy Matters. Stay tuned for more great information about helping you to save money, to use technology, and to be more sustainable. Stay tuned. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make. Like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Hey, welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm your host, Tim Eccles, and this half hour is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. It's a, it's a law firm, AGG.com. They're down at Atlantic Station in that Wells Fargo Tower, and they have been so involved with solar in Georgia, and their practices is just a long list from antitrust and competition law all the way to tax at the end. So I definitely recommend you take a look at their website. Special thanks to John Gornall, uh, for being a part of, uh, of the show. Well, in the studio today, um, Mosin Tusi, who owns BMVW Auto Sales, and his sidekick, uh, Steve 
uh, and we're going to talk to both of these guys about electric vehicles. Uh, and, you know, Mosin's, uh I don't know if you've ever been down to Union City uh, down that way, but his car facility is there on the old Shannon Mall uh, property, uh, and they sell a lot of used electric vehicles. And I've often said, John, and John Noel uh, here, my co-host, an electric vehicle driver, John, I've often said that the best-kept secret in Georgia are all these used Nissan Leafs that folks uh, can buy for eight or nine or ten or twelve thousand dollars, and we've let, frankly, we've let too many of them get out of state. Uh, That's right. Yeah. So, well, not if Mosin could help it, apparently. Yeah. So, uh, Mosin, welcome. Uh, and uh, you know, I guess you found that selling electric vehicles, you can make a living off that, huh? Yes, you can. Uh, you just have to have. More government support, more incentive from uh, you know community, and more education so people you know get involved and get get to see the benefit of owning an electric vehicle. Yeah. And once they test drive and see the benefits, they can uh, uh, they can own one, like you said, uh, rather inexpensively for their daily commute, and they have a, a lots of advantage over the gas burner cars. Yeah, so true confessions. When I got out of college, uh, I was an English major at the University of Georgia. What do you do with that degree, right? Uh, well, I went to work for Beaudry Ford. It was downtown, and I knew the dealer. I went to church with him, and he hired me. And I sold a lot of Ford Fairmonts, a lot of Rangers, a lot of F-150s. And, you know, as you think about selling an electric vehicle, uh, we didn't have any electric vehicles. We didn't have hybrids at the time. But... Are there obstacles uh, to sell an electric vehicle, and what are they? Well, the, one of the obstacles that we have here in Georgia is the alternative fuel tax that's imposed on owning an electric vehicle. And that's particularly important for people who wants to own one that's uh, around $10,000 range, like you said, you know, somebody that's paying eighty and hundred thousand for a Tesla, the two hundred dollars is almost irrelevant. Yeah, but let's be clear on this. That's to get the tag, right? The alternative fuel tag, which is what I call John the golden ticket, because mm-hmm. it lets you in those Gwinnett Express lanes, those toll lanes, uh, for free. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I find that paying two hundred dollars is well worth it because the toll just one way in the morning, $13. So, But if you're on the south side or you live in Cobb County right? Uh, or you live out they east change the or rules west, you, yeah. Yeah, you, you're yeah. not getting a free toll in those Cobb mm-hmm. County Peach Pass lanes or the Henry County lanes. So, I mean, do we really recommend that a person get the alternative fuel tag if they are not actually going to be in those lanes? Uh, what, are you, what are you all telling them, Mosin? Well, definitely they don't have to, but what if I live in an area like Savannah um, and I think they still have to pay that alternative fuel tag or somebody in Columbus, Georgia, a small town where uh, they don't have any of those lanes that's uh, free for, you know, when they have the alternative fuel tag. Yeah, so what you're saying is they're assessing assessing that $200 plus fee – and then if you get the tag, it's even additional amount. Uh, so it is a penalty on, it is a penalty. Uh, you know, on, on sure. the electric cars, and that's certainly an obstacle. Probably. I call it a regressive tax. Yeah. 
So, mm-hmm. it's, and it's certainly something I hope that that can be changed. Um, but are, are you seeing your customers who buy these cars, are they finding them to be more reliable than their old gas burning cars? Absolutely. From my experience, like you said, you know, I have been in used car business for many, many years, and I see how, you know, gas engine cars, you know, that burns, whether it's a diesel, com- combustion engine, uh, they have various problems. You know, you have the induction system, you know, fuel tank, fuel injection, uh, you know, fuel pump, on and on, and the exhaust system and ignition system. All those systems are not there in an electric vehicle. All the systems that can fail most likely after 100,000 miles or need uh, special maintenances like replacing the belt, none of those issues are there with electric car. So I find, you know, just selling an electric car, uh, Tim, be a lot easier for us. And I don't have to deal with, uh, you know, dry rotted belt or radiator yeah, that may be so, leaking so many less fuel. moving parts so less moving parts absolutely i, I remember and having lunch with steve out in doraville at the korean cafe and encouraging him to get with you and and he's working with you some now introduce steve and tell us what he's doing for you and now then I'll, i want you to move the microphone over to him and uh, ask and and tell us a little bit about what steve's doing for you uh steve is the best friend of the company he's uh, we are getting together to promote the use of electric vehicle and make a name recognition for our company. He has driven our cars to events and made it available for test drive. And I turn it to him. He's a great guy. He's an advocate and friend of environment. Yeah, Steve, Steve, you guys are, are doing this loaner program. And we've talked before on this show about the importance of getting people into the car, letting them experience it either as a driver mm-hmm. or a passenger. How important is that experience? Uh, it's very important. Um, you know, as, as you know, I'm an Uber driver and I do a lot of miles every day. And uh, I was able to try one of the cars and I got sobered because of the range issues. Um, my personal advocacy for electric vehicles has to do with the fact that they are cheaper. I lost a, um, I had a Hyundai Hybrid EV that, uh, it was a Sonata Hybrid, and the transmission went, and then the engine blew. And subsequently, I was at the Clean Energy Roadshow, and I heard 20 moving parts. I viscerally understand the cost of a vehicle, and the cost of an electric car is minimal, the operational cost. That's right. And, uh, you know. We are not a mechanic's friend. Yeah, so. No, no, not a mechanic's friend. And, you know, I mean, there's no maintenance, and the cost of fuel about 25%. So uh, from an economics-only standpoint, you don't have to be, you know, into clean energy or anything like that. It makes sense, you know. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons that we saw electric vehicles take off here. We had the tax credit, and then people realized, wow, not only, you know, do I get money back on my income tax, but I'm not spending much, you know, in terms of of maintenance. And to get a pre-owned vehicle from from Mosin and from BMW is double the thing because this, you know, the Tesla is not affordable for most people. That's right. Everybody says buy used. And when I bought mine, that wasn't really a used market. I mean, that's three and a half years ago for Teslas. It wasn't really a used market. Plus, I wanted the tax credits. 
But but now there's a big market of Teslas and other kind of EVs out there, and you're snatching up some of these and, and passing along that savings to people. I think it's a great business model. I really want to hear more about it. Yeah, most of them, we've talked uh, in in previous segments about John's trip to China, my trip to China, uh, his trip to Korea, and just the the volume of electric vehicles that you find over there. So. What did you learn? You went you went to China. What did you what did you learn about charging facilities and EV taxis and BYD that makes these buses at the Atlanta airports getting and the, the low speed EVs? What what did you see? Well, you know, I went to China for a trade show that was in Shanghai, and then I made a trip to uh, Shenzhen where they're making lots of uh, EV and battery factories. And over there, uh, I was fascinated with the uh, taxi use of electric vehicle. And uh, <clears throat> and always when I was going around, I always used the taxis that were, e- that were EV. I even rode on a bus that was an EV. And, you know, such a comfortable, quiet vehicles. I talked to the taxi drivers over there. How is that working for them, you know, driving an electric, you know, tr- taxi? And it, all of them were happy, and uh, they had this infrastructure that's, I think, a lot more advanced than ours. Uh, all of the level two charging station are three phases, and uh, the charging on board of the taxis were 12 kilowatt, versus, for instance, the best Nissan Leaf is 6.6 kilowatt. So they had this uh, resting area, resting station for taxis that was surrounded by charging station. Hmm. So the taxi driver park, you know, take a drink or food and rest. And while they were doing all that, you know, they were charging up for next five, six hours of drive. And the range for those uh, taxis, uh, they were using BYD E60 and the range for, for those cars were about 200 miles. They, they told me 320 kilometer, which translate to about, uh, uh, you know, right around 200 miles. Which in Shanghai traffic is like most of the day. Yeah, so, <laughs> is. you know, if you think about, uh, and there's a nonstop now from Atlanta to Shanghai, and, and China is, you know, you've, you've, maybe our listeners have, you know, have read about all the developments and, you know, in the trade war and, you know, and the and tariffs and all of this, but it, it is incredible what they're doing over there. Uh, even in Montreal, when I visited there, John, there was a company called Tio Taxi, and they had a fleet of Kia Souls, uh, the the Soul S O U L, and I had a Soul EV, about the same range as a, a Nissan Leaf, and they were making. Uh, making taxis uh, work on that. It's been great having Mosin Tusi here with BMVW Auto Sales and Steve Epstein, uh, his sidekick and uh, Uber driver extraordinaire. Hey, stay tuned uh, and join us again each week uh, here at WGAU as we learn more about energy, technology, and sustainability. Thanks for listening to Energy Matters. If you like to do this or that or even that, and you want to stay with it, Emory's got your back, or your shoulder, or your hip, or your knee. Our sports medicine specialists treat more world-class, professional, and college-level athletes than anyone else in the state. We'll treat you like a pro and get you back in play. That's the Emory difference. Make an appointment at emoryhealthcare.org sports.